Welcome. Good to see you this morning. You may be seated. Good to be back with you this Sunday. I want to thank Brian for speaking for me last week. I know he did a great job, and the Lord used his ministry last week. It was good for Lisa and I to get away for a, a weekend. But it's always good to be back with our church family. We are glad to be here. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along this morning, we're going to start out in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 9. We're finishing up a series on prayer, and we've been looking both Old and New Testaments at the significant prayers in the Bible so that we can glean and learn a lot about the subject of prayer and again, our goal has always been not just to learn about prayer, but to begin praying. So many Christians, you know, we can gather a lot of information about prayer, but if we're not engaged in praying, then it's really not doing us any good. And so we've also hoped that this series was a way to inspire us and motivate us to not only make prayer more of a priority in our own individual lives, but to sort of raise the profile of prayer in our own church. And we feel like we're accomplishing that uh, and that we want to continue that. And so today, my hope several months ago as I began to study ahead was to uh, approach the Lord's Prayer and just to share a few thoughts uh, that God had laid on my heart in my study uh, with you. But as I did that, I just realized that God wanted me to take a Sunday and instead of dealing with the whole Lord's Prayer, which we will actually do next week. So if you want to, if you want to, you know, see what the whole Lord's Prayer uh, is about, uh, come back next week. But this week, as I got into it, I felt like God stopped me in my tracks and said, I want you to take a Sunday and I want you to just talk about my name. My name. Uh, you'll notice in... Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, that Jesus is taking the opportunity to teach his disciples, his followers, how to pray. The Lord's Prayer is not what to pray. It is a model prayer. It is Jesus showing us how to pray. What should be the, the priority, if you will, of our prayer life? In fact, we've seen throughout our study of prayer both Old and New Testament, that one of the great purposes of prayer in our lives is it's a way for God to reorient our lives, to reprioritize our lives, if you will, to get us on the same page with him. Many times prayer isn't about changing our circumstances as much as it is God's vehicle or instrument to change us. And that's what we've seen. And that's what we see even in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is saying, as you talk to your heavenly Father, as you talk to God, as you commune with God, as you communicate with God, here are the things that should be of great priority. These are the things that should be occupying your minds and your hearts as you talk to God. And the first thing Jesus points out here in this model prayer is about honoring or hallowing the name of God. He says, when we as Christians pray to our Father who is in heaven, 
He says, pray that his name would be honored. Or as other translations put it, that his name would be hallowed. What does it mean to honor or hallow the name of God? It literally means to make his name holy, which is a concept of distinguishing his name, of setting apart his name, in a sense of making his name special, that there is a significance God has attached to his name. And so we've got to then start to think, okay, then tell me more, right? Because if I'm going to honor your name, if I'm going to hallow your name in my life, if that's going to be one of the priorities of my life, and that's one of the things, God, that you're going to remind me about as I pray and as I enter your presence, then how do I do that? How do I honor or hallow or distinguish or set apart or make special the name of God? Well, I'd like you to leave the Gospel of Matthew and just go back one book. You're going to cross over from the New Testament into the Old Testament. But I'd like you to go back to the book of Malachi. And I want to begin in Malachi chapter 1. Now, as we enter the Old Testament, I wanted to say this as well. Many of you know that down through history, the Jews so revered and respected the name of God that they would not even say the name of God. In fact, even to this day, many Jews, when they read the Old Testament and they come to the name Jehovah, God, in the Old Testament, they won't say that name. They will use the Hebrew Hashem, and that simply means the name. They won't use the name Jehovah. They will just simply say Hashem. Now, in the book of Malachi, though, the last of the Old Testament prophetic books in the order of the Old Testament, you have something, I think, significant here. You have God's last communication with his people through Malachi before he shuts down communication with them for 400 years until the beginning of the New Testament. And why does God shut down communication with his people? It is because they're not listening to him. And God is not a God that's going to just waste his breath. He's not going to stand there and speak to people, both corporately and individually, if there is no interest in truly taking in, listening carefully, being attentive, yielding, submitting, surrendering to the things that he says. He will simply withdraw speaking. And that's what he did for 400 years. But before he did that, his last sort of message to his people was really about his name, honoring his name, hallowing his name, distinguishing his name, setting it apart, or in this case, not doing it. In fact, real quickly, I want to show you there's nine places in this short book of four chapters where God makes reference to his name. And then we're going to go back and look at this a little bit closer because I think it begins to describe for us how do I honor and hallow the name of God. 
You'll notice there in verse 6, towards the end of the verse, the Lord who rules over all asks you this, you priests who make light of my name, but you reply, how have we made light of your name? Then look over at verse 11 of chapter 1. For from the east to the west, my name will be great among the nations. Incense and pure offerings will be offered in my name everywhere, for my name will be great among the nations. Then look at the end of verse 14. I am a great king, God says to his people. I am a great king, says the Lord who rules over all, and my name is awesome among the nations. Then go to chapter 2. Now you priests, this commandment is for you. If you do not listen and take seriously the need to honor my name, says the Lord who rules over all, I will send judgment. Then look at chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who respected the Lord spoke to one another, And the Lord took notice. A scroll was prepared before him in which were recorded the names of those who respected the Lord and, notice, honored his name. And then in verse 2 of chapter 4, one more reference to the name of God in the book of Malachi. But for you who respect my name, the son of vindication will rise with healing wings and you will skip about like calves released from the stall. We've just, in a very brief time, tried to show God places a lot of significance on his name and how his people, those who say they are his people, choose to hallow and honor and set apart and make significant and special his name. So I want to go back now to chapter 1 and verse 6, picking it up there in the narrative of the prophet, and I think seeing now how we begin to honor and hallow the name of God. If Jesus is teaching us as his people that this is one of the very first things that should enter our mind in our prayers, that as we approach God before we begin to ask and request for things, that we should be always remembering who it is we're talking to and that our lives should always be oriented or reoriented around making sure that we are honoring and hallowing the name of God. So in chapter 1, verse 6, God, speaking through the prophet Malachi, says to his people these words. A son naturally honors his father and a slave respects his master. If I am your father, where is my honor? If I am your master, where is my respect? The Lord who rules over all asks you this, you priests who make light of my name. Now notice specifically that God, through the prophet Malachi, is addressing this message to the priests. These are the spiritual leaders of Israel. (laughs) And God is saying there's something wrong with the leadership of my people. The spiritual leaders, the one who are to be leading everyone else in the nation in worship of me. But your worship is not acceptable to me, God is going to point out, because you are not choosing to honor or hallow my name. 
And though the priests are the ones who are specifically addressed, the whole nation is really wrapped up in what God is going to say because like priests, like people, like people, like priests, they're both out of step with God because they are making light of his name. The words here in the Hebrew mean to minimize, to trivialize the name of God. Think about it. The very people in the nation that are supposed to be leading the nation in exalting the name, in elevating the name of God, in honoring the name and hallowing the name, are doing just the opposite. And folks, as we're going to see, it's not because they stopped worshiping. They were going through the motions of worship, but we're going to see in just a second what was really the root issue here. We need to be careful as we live our lives that we are not in any way minimizing or trivializing the name of God. Again, well, then how would we do that? Let's continue. God says, verse 7, You are offering improper sacrifices on my altar. Yet you ask, how have we offended you? By treating the table, and notice now God inserts the word table for altar. Because in God's mind, as we come to worship him, and as they did in the Old Testament, as they came to bring their sacrifices and place it on the altar, it was also a way of fellowshipping with God as a table represents throughout the Bible. A table is a place of communion, communication, fellowship with one another and with God. And God is now saying, that's my table. That's where you meet with me. That's where we're supposed to have fellowship. And the fellowship is broken because you're bringing improper sacrifices on that altar. You're not bringing what I have told you to bring. Verse 8. For when you offer blind animals as a sacrifice, is that not wrong? And when you offer the lame and sick, is that not wrong as well? Indeed, trying offering that to your governor. Do you think your government leaders, your political leaders would accept those kind of offerings? Will he be pleased with you or show you favor? Ask the Lord who rules over all. But now plead for God's favor that he might be gracious to us. With this kind of offering in your hands, how can he be pleased with you? Ask the Lord who rules over all. Listen, I want to make this very clear. God did not request or require a lot of offerings and sacrifices from his people. He really didn't. If you, if you study the offerings and sacrifices in the Old Testament, you, I think you'll find that out. God did not try to burden his people by putting all this enormous amount of sacrifice and offerings. But what God did say to his people clearly was this. What you do bring to me needs to be the very best. It needs to be the best. We're going to see that in just a moment. You see, by them bringing inferior sacrifices than what God detailed very clearly in his word, they were doing a couple things. One, they were trading in the word of God for the wisdom of the world. Folks, that is happening all over the place within the body of Christ today. 
local churches, ministries are trading in the word of God for the wisdom of the world. It is why the teaching of the word is not prevalent in most places today. It's why when our ministry is known by people and people understand where we're at, like, oh, finally, a church where I can go and I can actually hear the word of God taught. Because most churches today and many ministries today are minimalizing and trivializing the word of God. And they are pushing it to the margin of their ministry. Other things are more important and take greater precedence. And the Bible teaches that this would happen. Paul told Timothy, don't you realize, Timothy, that in the last days there will be many people who will not tolerate sound teaching. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And Paul literally says they will turn away from hearing the truth. That's what we see happening today. Even amongst those who claim to be God's people. Because that's exactly what happened in Malachi's day. It was one of the ways that the people were not honoring and hallowing the name of God because they were trading in the word of God for the wisdom of the world. And how were they doing that? Secondly, they were trying to rationalize things. Instead of just saying, this is what God said, this is what we'll do, you can imagine it. Now, put yourself in this place. Here's a young family. They don't have a lot. They got a few animals. And over here, this animal, this animal is perfect, without spot, without blemish. There's nothing wrong with this animal. Over here, here's an animal that is sickly, is weak, and they're going, you know, if we brought this for worship, we're not going to get anything out of that at market. But if we hold on to this one, the best one, we could get a lot of money for this at market. So, so let, let's, let's try to just, you know, somehow in our own minds rationalize it. God will be okay with this. Even though God clearly said, when you bring me something, bring your very best. No spot, no blemish, the best. Somehow we're going to bring God something inferior and we're going to think things are going to be okay. And the problem was, guess what? The priests were going along with it. As the people came in, maybe the priests were getting pressure. You've got to let us offer this sacrifice. We've got a better one back home, yeah, but, but we could get so much more at market for that. You've got to let us offer this inferior sacrifice. And they were. And God says, you're not honoring my name by bringing these kind of sacrifices because in bringing those, you're doing two things. One, you're saying God is not very important. Because if God was important, it's not that God needed their sacrifices any more than God needs our offerings and sacrifices. It's a way for us to show others, God, you are important. You are special. You are significant. You are set apart. You are distinguished from everything else in my life. If I'm going to do something for you, God, it's going to be the absolute best that I can do. And the other thing this did, was it showed a total lack of faith, which is one of the reasons why God called for this kind of a sacrifice. God wanted his people to learn to live by faith. You give me your best, and I'll show you I'll still take care of you. 
Don't, don't you try to, you know, manipulate it and rationalize in your own mind. Well, God, I'll give you less because I need to take care of myself. I need to take care of my family. And if I give away the very best that I've got, how am I going to do that? God says, trust me. Give me your best and I will show you I will take care of you every time. I'll be faithful. But you need to learn to walk by faith. And so what we have here at the end of the Old Testament era and why God shut down communication with his people is there was a total lack of faith and a total lack of obedience and it all went back to what God was saying here. You are not honoring my name. You are minimizing and trivializing my name before the nations and before everyone else because you have the audacity to come as my people and offer something on my altar that's less than your best. In fact, notice in verse 10, God says to his people through the prophet Malachi, I wish that one of you would close the doors of the temple. Stop coming to church, in a sense, is what God's saying. Because all that you're doing in my name to worship me is not acceptable to me. You're going through the motions. You're offering sacrifices. You're putting your sacrifices and offerings up there. But they're not pleasing. I wish that one of you would close the temple doors so that you would no longer light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord who rules over all, and I will no longer accept an offering from you. For God goes on to say, from the east to the west, my name will be great among the nations. God is saying, I will always find at least a remnant, a group of people who will listen to me, who will follow me, who will obey my word, and who will honor my name, and I will work my purpose through them. So notice something. We miss out on the purposes of God when we don't honor his name. He'll find those who do honor his name and he'll work his purposes through them. He says, I will be great among the nations. Incense and pure offerings will be offered in my name everywhere. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord who rules over all. But you are profaning it by saying that the table of the Lord is common. It's offerings despicable. And I love this. God says through the prophet Malachi, you also say, verse 13, how tiresome it is. Now, don't miss this. This is a key word here. It means that the people are saying that worship of God has become a bother. It's become an inconvenience. It's become an aggravation. It's become an annoyance. That's what the word tiresome means in the Hebrew language. And I think, wow, how many Christians today or those who profess to be Christians have gotten to that point, even in their own perspective of worshiping God? You know, I'd worship you more, but it's just inconvenient. You know, my schedule just doesn't fit into your schedule, God. And even being willing to give you a little time each week, well, that just messes what I want to do up, God. It, it's become a bother. So I'm just going to start pursuing in my life what I want to do. And, you know, if I don't get to church quite as much as I used to, and, and I don't get to a Bible study, and, and I don't fellowship, but, you know, I, I'm sure you're going to understand, right, God? Because isn't it just about what, what I want? <laughs> no. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us in the model prayer. It's not about our name and our kingdom and our will. Jesus starts off, it's about 
your name and your kingdom, God, and your will. It's not about us. It's about him. And then he goes on to say, you turn up your nose at worship, the Lord who rules over all says, and instead you bring what is stolen, lame, or sick. You bring these things for an offering, and should I accept this from you, asks the Lord? There will be harsh condemnation for the hypocrite who has a valuable male animal in his flock, but vows and sacrifices something inferior, literally something less than your best to me, says the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord who rules over all, and my name is awesome. It will be respected and revered among the nations. Notice a couple things. First of all, notice, unlike in our society, even in Christian circles today, God never lowers the standard. God never says, well, you know, you guys, this, I know the standard's pretty high, perfect sacrifice, no spot, no blood. Okay, so you know what? Because most of you aren't, aren't doing that, I'll, I'll make it that it can have two spots and it'll be acceptable. No. God's standard never changes. Man may try to change the standards of God, but the standards of God always remain. As I spoke about on Tuesday night in our last Bible study before we take our summer break, here's what Jesus said. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not one tiny stroke of the law will ever become void will ever lose its authority, will ever lose its force. And the word for tiny stroke that Jesus uses there literally means the apostrophe or the small hook that distinguishes letters from each other. Jesus said, I'm not even talking about words. I'm talking about the apostrophe that I use. It will not lose its authority. Man can try to change God's standards, but God's standards will always remain. And God will never lower those standards to accommodate people. God is always looking for people who are willing to follow his standard. That's honoring the name of God. That's hallowing the name of God. And that brings me to the big sort of concept, if you will, of how do we hallow and honor the name of God on an everyday basis? How do we do that? If that's a priority, if, if that's something that we should be thinking about as we pray and praying about, then God, how do I do that? By bringing God our best. That whatever we do, we do our very best. In doing that, we not only show our fellow believers, God is important, and I'm not going to give him anything less than my best, which in a sense then begins to encourage and inspire and motivate other Christians to raise their level of their commitment and consecration and dedication to God. But it's also a great witness and testimony to those that don't know God, that you and I we think so much of our God and his name and we want to honor it and hallow it that anything less than our best is not going to be acceptable. If I can't give God my best, then I'm not going to give him anything, give him anything at all. I want to make sure that I'm bringing God the very best of me instead of giving him the leftovers of my time and my talent and my energy and my effort. I'm going to give God the very best best that I've got. And then if you'd turn with me for just a minute to the book of Acts. 
I love this. One of the reasons I believe why the early church was so powerful and why they were turning the world upside down was because they were honoring and hallowing the name of God in everything that they did. They stood up for the name of Jesus. And they didn't back down. No matter the pressure of their society or their culture, they hallowed and honored the name of God. As you come into chapter 3, you've got this great story in the book of Acts of this man who was born lame from birth. So he's laying there by the temple as he did every day of his life. And here comes Peter and John. You, you know this story. Peter and John's eyes fixate on the man. And Peter says to him, I don't have any silver or gold. What I do have is this. And listen to these words. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, stand up and walk. And a man who had never walked before stood up and began leaping. Now you and I all know that if we've ever been laid up at all for any length of time, even though we have walked in our life at some point, if you don't use these old legs after a while... It, they're a little wobbly. This shows, again, the great miracle and power that God has, that he was able to put such power into the legs of a man that never walked that he didn't even have to go through the process of transitioning to learn and all that. Man, he was just up. He was walking. He was, he was leaping. He was running. And it was because of the name of Jesus Christ. Well, as the crowd started to gather around, they heard and saw the miracle, and they were like, the crowd was abuzz. And Peter thought, man, this is a great opportunity to talk about the name. So Peter sees that. Over in chapter 3, verse 16, Peter says, And on the basis of faith in Jesus' name, his very name has made this man, whom you see and know, strong. How did it happen? Through the name. See, Peter and the other early Christians were living in the authority and power that the name brings. And when you and I are truly interested in hallowing and honoring the name of God, we will walk in the authority and power of Jesus Christ. And our lives will evidence that authority and power as we live each and every day. Well, obviously, as you know, the religious leaders of Israel got wind of this, and they didn't like it. They were always, you know, the ones to try to kill everything. So they gathered Peter and John before all the grand poobahs of Israel, the high priest and everyone else, and they say this, chapter 4, verse 7. By what power or by what name did you do this? And notice Peter's response. Verse 10. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, this is why this man stands before you healthy. 
There is something special about the name. There is power and authority in the name of Jesus. In fact, Peter goes on to make a very, very politically incorrect statement. Verse 12 of chapter 4. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among people by where we must be saved. No other name. That's honoring and hallowing the name of God. Now you and I know if Peter and John would have been alive today and this would have happened in our day, oh my goodness, would they have had a field day with them. There would have been commentators on MSNBC just a railing. How can you claim that salvation is only through Jesus Christ? Well, folks, it's always been that way, and it will always be that way. And it is time that God's people begin to honor and hallow the name of Jesus and stand up for the name of Jesus and be willing to say, even in a society that continues to walk away from God and his word further and further, just like Peter did, there is no other name, folks, than the name of Jesus. It is only through his name there is salvation. It is only through his name there is deliverance. It is only through his name there is rescue. There is no other name. This is what Jesus meant when he taught his followers. When you pray, pray, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. Hallowed be your name. In the book of Colossians, I'll leave you with this. This is so significant of a principle that Paul, in summing up much of what he had said to the Christians in the city of Colossae, says this in chapter 3, verse 17. He tells Christians this, Whatever you do, in word and deed, do all in what? In the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul says, as a Christian, our whole life, should be lived to honor, to revere, to respect, to make his name special, significant, set apart, distinguished from all other names. And that whatever we do, we do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. And as they come, we're going to sing a song about the name. And I'm just calling on us to make this final song today an anthem of both celebration that you and I can walk in the name of Jesus every day in his power, in his authority. And that it's also, I hope, a song of consecration for all of us who name the name of Jesus to say here today, Jesus... If I was honest, I, I've been giving you less than my best. I've been bringing to you inferior things. 
You may be prominent in my life, but you're not preeminent in my life. And remember what Paul told the Colossians too. He said, Christ should have not prominence in our lives. That's an important place. Paul says Christ should have the preeminent place in our lives. That means first, chief, the priority of our life should be Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, as we come to a time in this time with you and in your word each Sunday where we can in some way respond to you, God, I pray that that's what would happen today in each of our hearts. That, God, we have been reminded today through a short study of your word of how important your name is to you and how important your name should be to us. May we never live to trivialize or minimize the name of God. And may we be willing, God, unlike those in Malachi's day, to never offer you anything inferior, less than our very best. If you're truly who you have revealed yourself to be, and if we truly believe in the God of the Bible and who you are, then, God, there is no other logical response other than to give you our very, very May this song today, God, and the words of it and the, the heart and our minds, God, not only be celebrating today, God, that we know you and we can live in your power and authority and that we are saved and can be delivered and rescued through the power that's in your name. But God, may this song also be a consecration, a, a dedication of your people to say, God, you are a great king. You're my great king, and I'm going to offer you nothing less than my best. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.